This is the answer to the question that Nicodemus had. How can natural man be born again? Jesus says, whoever believes will have everlasting life. The natural man must be born again. And the answer for them and the message that we preach to them is come to Jesus. As you are, jacked up, tweaked, because the rest of us are too. That is the message. Come to Jesus. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians tonight. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Our message title tonight is the stages of spiritual growth. Well, we are currently going through our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. It was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, written to a church in Corinth that he helped to plant. Um, Last week, we studied the end of chapter two, and the apostle Paul was reminding us that we've been given a new way of thinking, that we are to have the mind of Christ. And so um, there's a a newness that's come with uh, this following of Jesus, but he's really getting to start or going to start the rebuke of this letter, where he's going to dig into some of the main problems that this church had. And our theme for this book is Together. Uh, because we're all in this together. We're all jacked up uh, sinful people. And so hang around me long enough, you'll find out um, if you didn't know it already. You know, it's just we're all sinful. It's all, and the church either succeeds together or we're going to destroy this thing together. That's, that's basically what Paul is saying. Either you're going to rise from the ashes together or this whole thing is going to continue to burn and um, come to nothing. And so he talked about the saved and the unsaved. He's talked about the mature and the immature. And now the subtext of mature and immature would be the carnal Christian. That's one of the main issues and problems of the church in Corinth was carnality. And we'll get to what that is more in depth tonight. But it's interesting, currently in my house right now, uh, we are getting to see many stages of physical development in our children. I have four children. Um, I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So, you know, we're all over the place as far as physical, um, physical development. My two-year-old right now is learning her words. Um, she's had no pretty dialed in for a while now. But um, her new thing is she likes to hide stuff behind her back and go, Daddy! And she'll stand there forever. And I'm like, what's behind your back? And then it'll be like scissors or a dagger or something <laughs> She's like, ah! <laughs> she's, she's something. Um, I should have known with a, a name like Fifi, she would be out of control. But she's learning her words. She's learning how to do cartwheels. She's learning all that stuff now. And we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. You're developing. Our four-year-old is learning how to ride a bike. Like, he's learning how to ride a bike. And he's going off jumps and and hurting himself and and doing flips in the trampoline and my seven-year-old daughter is getting better at reading and she's becoming an amazing like little artist she loves to draw and she likes to draw weird pictures of me she likes to draw pictures of our dog and and it's really cool to see her developing uh, in that way my oldest son has a great arm can throw like a champ he's learning how to surf I mean we're out there surfing together it's really a fun time in our lives, and they're all developing physically in different ways. But there's also, the Bible tells us, there are stages of spiritual development. There's spiritual development that takes place. And so let's read verses one through four to get a glimpse of it. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, a spirit, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and the other, I am of Paulos, are you not carnal? Paul lists, I don't know if you caught that there, four stages of spiritual development. And so we want to examine ourselves tonight. We want to ask our questions of ourselves. Where do we fit into these four categories? Not that we would be able to label ourselves and be like, see, I have issues. 
Um, it's in order that the Bible is always encouraging us to move forward. When the Bible reveals to us something about ourselves or some kind of error or something glorious or something, there's, there's a response of forward movement in our walk with Jesus. We're never to retreat, we're never to go backwards, right? When we talk about the armor of God in the book of Ephesians, um, the, the chest plate that the Lord gave us, or when we talk about that, it would never have like back armor on your back. Is because you're never to retreat, you're never to run away. And so there was always this forward momentum in our walk with Jesus. And Paul's going to list a few of those, uh, and the four that we're going to look at tonight are mere men, which if you say it a bunch of times, it sounds really funny, mere men. Like it sounds like men in the mirror. Uh, but mere men, or the natural man, as he brought up in, in chapter two, uh, we're going to look at babes. <laughs> there are, oh, that didn't come out right. <laughs> babies, not babes. Um, the spiritual person as well as the carnal person. So those are the four categories that he lists. And so tonight as we go through them, I want you to think and ask yourself, where, where am I in my walk with the Lord? And um, so the first one that we come to is, like he said, we're gonna kind of work backwards through the text. He says, are you not behaving like mere men? Now, the idea here is the natural man. If you turn over to chapter two, Paul introduces it in verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He talks about this person would be likened to the factory settings that you receive, right? When you get a new phone or you get a new phone, I don't know what else, has, it, it comes with factory settings, right? And you can kind of manipulate within that, that matrix and kind of make things the way that you want. You can organize your apps the way you want and you have like a shopping folder and just a target folder of just like all things target and, and um, music apps and you have them all kind of, you can kind of work within that framework. But if you've ever come to a point where you're like, I need to reset this back to factory settings, it's basically out of the box is what he's explaining. This person is the factory setting straight right out of the box person. And the Bible tells us that natural man is number one is born in sin. He's raised in iniquity and separated from God. But why is it this way? Why are we born in this sense with a sin nature? Why are we born in sin, raised in iniquity, and separated from God? Raised in iniquity is just another fancy word for sin. Why is it this way? Well, tonight we're going to find out. If anyone's ever questioned that, like, why are we born with this kind of bent towards sin? Why, when someone tells me not to do something or not to go somewhere, is there this natural, right, natural inclination to do exactly what they told me not to do. When you see a no trespassing sign and you're like, why? Why can't I go over there? Why are you trying to keep me out of there? No parking, you're like, I'll show you no parking. Watch this, or whatever. Anytime there's a sign that says stay off the tracks and you're like, silly. Silly rule makers, tricks are for kids or whatever. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Anytime that happens, I've done it with my two-year-old recently where she, I'm like, hey, come here, come here. And she's like, no. I'm like, stay right there, stay right there. Don't move. She comes right to me. <laughs> Why is that? It's natural. It is the natural response and natural not in the good way. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, this is where we find the natural man. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We'll come back. But Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way through Revelation tonight. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Oh, I missed verse 26. That's kind of the big part. Hold on. I forgot my glasses. I'm actually like 34. I don't know if, do I look 34? Anyway, don't answer. <laughs> I had to upgrade to giant print. Then God said, there we go. Now we're on the right track here. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Aren't you glad that you can step on bugs? And you're like, that's dominion right there. I just showed you God's creation. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created a male and female. He created them. This text, it tells us in our original design, in God's original design for making man or creating man, he made man in the image of God. Meaning, not that you all look like God and you're like, God's nose just looks like my nose or whatever. What it means is that God made us triune just as he is triune. In God that is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, The triune God also made us triune in that we are body, soul, and spirit. Now the body is the house of the soul. This is a tent. It's breaking down. It doesn't live forever. It gets old. It gets creaky. It easily throws out its back. I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Easily gets hurt, breaks down. It's simply a tent for the soul. Now, the soul is not just that milky white substance that exudes out of you once you die, and you're like, what is a soul? Anyone ever ask that question? Like, what does a soul look like? And you've done studies, like, when you die, you lose, like, 0.78 pounds or some weird thing. You're like, the soul weighs 10 pounds or whatever. And so, like, I'm actually a lot thinner. It's my soul that's (laughs) overweight. No, I don't know. But the soul is man's consciousness. Our consciousness will live forever. The Bible talks about how in hell all five senses exist. Hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, and the other ones. Feeling, all those things exist forever. And that's part of the soul. The consciousness, our emotions, our awareness, and our will. These are all a part of the soul of man. Now, the spirit is the part of us that relates to God. The spirit is the part that relates to God. Jesus said that the worship of God must be in spirit and in truth. That is the part that that is touched by God or relates to God and communicates with God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read on in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 15, God warns of the consequences of disobedience. So we've established that we are triune, made by God with body, soul, spirit, just as God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, however you'd like to pronounce it. I like Holy Ghost, the ghost with the most, you know? Um, Sorry. But as you go on and you read in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now make note of this. This is a time stamp. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But as you go on, right, as we move, there's a time stamp there. What, what will happen? If they eat of this fruit, what will happen? They will surely die. When? That day, right? That day. There's a time stamp here. If you go on into verse 13, where do you find Adam and Eve? You don't find them in the southwest corner of the garden, just kind of like, we know where the tree is. We're going to stay as far away from it as possible. Where do you find them? Right next to it, right? Isn't Doesn't it say something about us, like how wicked and tweaked we are? Like, don't go there. And you're like, God, I cannot believe how restrictive you are. God's like, you have freedom. You have dominion. Everything is yours except this. And they're like, how could you do this to us? What what are you holding? What are you hiding? You're hiding something. I knew it, right? It's ridiculous of all, all things. God has given us so much freedom. And I think that's the hard thing about that people think that like walking with Jesus is this restrictive keeping rules thing where God says you have freedom in Christ you have you've been given all things all things have been put under your feet you have dominion you're an heir of Christ and God says but stay away from these things and you're like why 
It's the toddler in all of us. Why? Why would you keep me from this? Why would you keep me from that? God says, stay away from this tree. Do not eat of it. Because the day that you do, you will die. And they're like, yeah, I'll just hang out right by it. Just going to look at it. It says something of the nature of man. We are hell-bent. A lot of times, we are our own worst enemies, hell-bent on our own destruction. The devil doesn't even have to try. We just do it to ourselves. But you read on in chapter 3, the serpent came, and he lured Eve away. And she ate of the fruit and then gave to her husband. And what happened right after eating it? They were aware of their sinfulness. They were separated from God. And the shame that they, they were so ashamed of what they did that they hid themselves. And then they attempted to cover it up. It, it tells us in, in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they, so, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. It says in verse 8 that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God comes and he says, Where are you? There was a separation in relationship with them. And they said that we hid ourselves because we were ashamed and we were afraid of you. We were afraid of you. It teaches us and it shows us that when sin entered into the world, they were aware now that they were unworthy to be in the presence of a holy God. That brought separation between them and God. They were ashamed of themselves. Shame never existed before sin. They attempted then to cover themselves up and work their way back and kind of cover up their sin. But what was the consequence? What do we say was the consequence of their sin? Starts with a D. There you go. Ends with F. Death. Yes, very good. Death was the consequence. Did they die? Well, we read on. If they did die at that moment, there would be no human race. So what happened? You read on that they lived productive and long lives. So is God threatening them like some parent who's like, I'm you grounded for life if you do that? And that kid does it and they're like, well, you know, not for life. Time out. Five minutes. He's got a threatening parent with no ammunition in the back, like no attempt of following through. Is God giving an empty threat? Was God wrong? No. Death did enter and was immediate but it was that of spirituality. That spirit died. That's why there was separation between them and God. That's why they were afraid of God. That's why they didn't feel worthy to come into his presence because they had died spiritually. And death was immediate, but it was spiritual. The part that would relate to God was now dead. Physical death is just a byproduct of spiritual death. It's a byproduct of it. And the condition of man from then on was he was separated from God, he had lost relationship with God, and he had lost eternal life. He lost it. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. And, and the reason we're talking about this is because of why we need Jesus. Listen, this is why we need Jesus. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, it says, And Adam lived 130 years. That's a long life. And begot a son in his own likeness. That's the key. Right there. We were made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Adam then conceived a son who bore his own likeness, which means separated from God, loss of relationship, loss of everlasting life. And that is the lineage of Adam. It continues on. It was passed to every one of his kids, and we are his kids. That's what the Bible teaches. Death passed to all through Adam. And so separation from God, lost relationship, loss of eternal life, it passed to all of us. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, flowing or, or following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Hold on. Disobedience. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
He explains the condition of every human person. He says that you were dead. The spirit that related to God, it was dead because of sins and trespasses. You were just flowing down river to the course of this world, driven by the lusts of the flesh, driven by our own passions. And the end of it, he says, it ended in destruction, in hell forever. But the rest of that verse tells us the reason in which Jesus came. It is the reason in which God sent Jesus to this earth. If you read the rest of Ephesians 2 in that that section, it says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has then made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He makes the case that this part of us was dead because of sin. And that goes all the way back to Adam himself. That sin is so bad and was so horrible. It affected the human race and everything that we see all the way down to a genome level. That spiritual death brings about physical death in every person and everything. He says, and this is why Jesus came, to redeem it all back to himself. Through Christ, we are no longer separated from God. We have relationship with God, and what is restored back to us, most importantly, is eternal life with God forever. And so the natural man, he says, must be born again. This natural man that we're describing, Jesus loves them. He died for them. But they're living apart from God, dead spiritually, separated from God, and do not have the promise of eternal life in heaven. And the message to that man is simply come to Jesus. That is the message. Come to Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he was the teacher of Israel, Jesus says. He doesn't say, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? He says, you are the teacher of Israel. In Israel. Like he was the guy that everyone wanted to study under. He was in vogue at the time. Like he was the rabbi. We're like, his hat is sick or whatever. We want to study under Nicodemus. He's the guy we want to know. He's the guy we want to study under. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, physical birth is not enough. You must be born again. And he says, how? How can that happen? Can I go back into my mother's womb as an old man? Is that how it's done? And Jesus, it leads them to the conversation in John chapter 3, verse 16 that says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the answer to the question that Nicodemus had. How can natural man be born again? Jesus says, whoever believes will have everlasting life. The natural man must be born again. And the answer for them and the message that we preach to them is come to Jesus. As you are, jacked up, tweaked, because the rest of us are too. Come to Jesus. Accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But the second uh, category that he gives us is babies or babes. It's hard to read this without laughing. I don't know why, but babelicious, babes. (laughs) Like there is nothing more amazing than the birth of a child. Having been there in the room for the birth of all my kids, um, it's terrifying. It's as the dude, you're just like, (laughs) I'm so sorry. There is nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. Our firstborn, he was like 9'2". Um, not that I know what anything is that about, but um, he was 9 pounds, 2 ounces. Our last one was 9 pounds, 10 ounces. Mother's Day is a big day in our house. <laughs> we have two of them every year. Um, no. There's nothing like more amazing than being there. Even my, my son, uh, it was 22 hours of labor and then my daughter was induced and so it was another t- like 20 hours of that and uh, the last two came a lot quicker. Um, and my wife did it like all natural, which is so, I was like, I am such a wuss. <laughs> you are so strong. Wow, way to go. 
But there's nothing more amazing than a child being born. It's so amazing that we actually celebrate that day every year, right? We celebrate their birthday and we make a big deal out of it. Like it's every year it comes around like, it's your birthday. It's amazing. We celebrate that. Do you know the spiritual birth of a person from the natural man to a newborn babe in Christ, a baby Christian, that heaven itself celebrates, that Jesus and the angels have a party? And you think of like the lame like birthday parties I've given my kids where I'm like blowing up balloons and we're like hanging banners and my wife and I are like trying to get creative. We're like one year I made a, my, uh, a cake for my daughter. I made a fox cake and it had like a fo fox face and I like did it in icing and that was as creative as I could get. And we're like, yeah, it's your birthday. And then it's over. And then the next kid, same banner. You know what I mean? Like, it's your birthday, bud. Yeah. What's your name? Um... We celebrate it every year. It's amazing. Do you know that, although God is, think about it, God's not limited in his creativity and his resources. So when someone comes to faith, can you imagine the party that goes on in heaven? Jesus said that one, one, one sinner repents and comes to Christ. It is an all-out party in heaven. If there's anything that we could grow, I don't know about you, that we could grow, myself personally, grow in my walk with Jesus, I need to learn how to celebrate and like be excited about stuff. In my old grumpiness, like the world begins to lack luster, doesn't it? And so if there's anything in this world that we can grow in as Christians, it's rejoicing in one sinner coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We celebrate those things, but we also celebrate the growth of children. Um, I'm going to stop talking about my kids. We talk about, we, we celebrate their, you know, the first time they roll over and you're like, they did it. And then you're sick and twisted and you turn them back over and they're like, they did it again. And they're like, come on, man. And, and, and all of that. We celebrate their first words. We, we are, are excited about those things. We're part of that growth. And so much of growth in a child is both painful and it's messy, right? They fall everywhere. They hit their heads on everything. They make big mistakes. My daughter washed my truck with rocks. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes you crash into people's cars with a motorcycle that they own. And <laughs> I recently crashed my friend's motorcycle into his car. Both his. Like an idiot. But I landed on my feet like a jungle cat, so. <laughs> Sorry, Hollow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But here, here's what we're talking about. We celebrate their growth. But in every growing child, you got to believe there's messes, there's fits, it's disgusting. Watching them eat, I start to vomit a little bit, right? But you're patient with them. Why? Because they're kids. They don't know any better. When he describes the baby Christian... When he's talking about this child in Christ, he's talking about how they are messy and a lot of times it's painful to watch. They make big mistakes and they make big messes. But this is where we preach the grace of God. Come back to Jesus. He loves you. This is part of growing in your relationship with Christ. And I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you made some big mistakes. Guess what? It's part of growing in Christ. Jesus still loves you even though you messed up. It's part of growing in, in the grace of God and knowing Jesus and walking with him. The worst thing you can do is think that you're saved because you've done something to earn God's favor. You're there purely by the grace of God. You're going to heaven purely by the grace of God. You're being sanctified purely by the grace of God. And so... Um, this is when someone is just beginning their walk and it's... It's like learning to do everything again, how to speak, how to think. And so new Christians are messy. But if you want to have fun, get around people who just came to Christ. Like if you're getting bored and you're kind of getting super grumpy in your faith, go find someone who just got saved. And like just shut up for a second and go hang out with them. Just be like, you know what? Dude, God is so good. I'm such a baby. I don't know why I'm crying. Um, look at this. Anyway, 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn babes... 
Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Growing comes from partaking of the word of God. If you ever think like, how do I grow in my walk with Jesus? Partake of the word of God. The Bible says that it is our spiritual food. It is nourishment to our soul and to our bones. It's how we grow. And we're growing, not just in the sense of being a better person, we are growing to be more like Jesus. That is the aim, that is the goal, that is the target. We are growing to become more like Christ. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. He's describing them like a tree that is planted and their roots are going deep. And as they grow, what extends out from them is the fruit of the spirit and they're established by the roots sinking deep down into the soil. But before a tree can really grow and as it's first planted, as you'll see around parks and things like that, you'll see that post that's connected to the tree and you're like, why are they doing that? Like, are they so concerned about straight trees and they just want them to grow perfectly straight? It's because that tree by itself cannot stand up. A strong wind, a strong storm comes through and that thing's roots have not gone deep enough and so it will be blown over, it will be uprooted. So part of the body of Christ is coming alongside those who are growing in their walk with Jesus and you stand as a post next to them so that they have something to hold on to. That's why we're in this together. So if you're like, I go to church, listen, you're not just going to church. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are not a spectator. You are involved in what's going on in this church. You are a vital part of it. You're a post in someone else's life that you stand there so that they can hold on and grow. And there's others that you will need to hold on to to help you grow. And so he's explaining that it's, it's like these people that are growing, man, their roots are sinking deep. But eventually, the post goes away. And the roots have gone deep. Have you ever tried to uproot a tree that you didn't want in your, in your yard? or like? And it's incredibly difficult. It's awful. There's nothing worse than trying to uproot like an established tree because it, the roots are so powerful and so strong and so you've got to get a truck to pull it out or whatever. Um, and that's the picture that Paul is giving us. But that process takes time. And in that time frame, the church needs to be gracious to those who are currently growing in their walk with God. But he, the third one he describes is a spiritual man. What are the characteristics of a spiritual man or woman um, you know, don't get crazy. The spiritual man, first of all, fights against the flesh. In Galatians 5.17, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So when we come alive to God, we're born again in Christ, Right? You've claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's filled your heart. He's, he's brought your spirit back to life. You were once dead. You're now alive to God. Our souls in, in, is our emotion, our consciousness, our will is being influenced by our desires and our spirit. And these two things war against each other. Remember that the casing of, of the soul, the body, the flesh, it has desires, it has wants, it has things that it is, it is gratifying itself with and it wars against this new life in the spirit that Christ has made alive that once wasn't there. And so now there is a conflict that goes on for our soul. And this is the battle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven where he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, he says, I've become a pro at doing them. He says, woe is me, I'm, I'm a man who's undone. And then he says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. He says, hold, a sec hold on a second, I am not condemned by God. The only person who could condemn me is God and he doesn't, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so he's talking about this battle that goes on within our souls. The things that we, have you ever had a strong desire to do something that you know God is telling you not to do? 
Like you've read verses, you like highlighted them, you put them on post-its and put them on your mirror and you're like, this is why I'm not gonna do that thing. And then it comes up and you're like, pretty sure I'm gonna do that thing. Those verses were great. <laughs> but this is like gonna be awesome, right? We have a strong desire to do something that God wants me to do, but I'm struggling to get it done. That's the spirit. So how do I win this battle? You're like, thanks for pinpointing it. Like, how do I win? Right? How many of you love to win? Liars. Everyone loves to win. No one sets out each day or like, I love losing. It's my favorite thing in the world. Oh, man. I love feeling a loser at the end of the day, too. Man, going to bed, just being like, wow, what a loser. Thank you, God. Man, awesome. No one ever sets out, like, playing games with my kids. It's really hard for me to be like, I'm going to lose this one. Right? I'm going to just let them win. NBA 2K20, my son loses every time because he's got to learn, right? Sometimes you lose. But everyone has this desire to win. When it comes to the flesh and the spirit, I don't think anyone sets out with a desire to lose. Like, yeah, I want the flesh to ruin my life. I want to be dominated by my desires. I want to have no control over myself. Woo! Love Thursdays. How do you win? Paul says this. He uses the strongest wording that the Bible can use. He says, crucify the flesh, meaning nail it to a cross and let it breathe its last and suffocate. Let it die. Crucify the flesh, he says. In another place, Paul says, reckon the old man to be dead. It's this idea of an accounting term that it is so. It, the spiritual man says, that's my old life. This is my new life. That is dead, nailed to the cross, buried with Christ to stay in the grave. And this is my new life that I am now living in the spirit and the power of God's spirit. That is the measure or one of the, the points of a man who is spiritual or a woman who is spiritual. But how do you win this battle? Just like some kid who won't listen to you, what do you tell them? You tell them no, right? Can I have this? No. And they start to do it anyway. What do you do? You tell them no again. You just keep saying no. When it comes up, no. Can I have this? No. You can sing however you want to do it. No, no, no. No, you keep telling it no, and you give it parameters, no, and here's why, no, no, no. And eventually, when that doesn't work, you get some help, right? The old wait till your father gets home kind of a thing. My wife will call me and, and like, please come home. Please. You get some help. Asking someone to pray for you for the struggles that you're going through does not mean you're weak. It means that you are mature enough in Christ to say that I need help. I need help. It's stupid. It is stupid to continue to try and walk and battle the flesh by yourself without anyone knowing what you're going through, without anything that's going on. Listen, it is stupid, the Bible says. You need other people who are walking with Jesus, who have walked your battle, who have won your battle, who have defeated it, and they say, this is how you win. And I'm gonna keep you accountable to it. You need each other. It is dumb. It is dumb. It is unwise. That's a better word than stupid. It is unwise to not share the things that you're struggling with with the body of Christ. Because we're in this together. I keep saying the same stupid thing. <laughs> we're all in this together. <laughs> now I like hate it. I hate it. <laughs> all right? So that's it. The spiritual man is a person who no longer lives as he once did. And listen, not just professing, but practicing. Not just professing, but practicing. Not just belief, but behavior. Not just the claim of Christ as Savior, but ownership of Christ as Lord. That is a mark of the spiritual man. Not just claiming Christ or professing, but practicing what the Word of God says. So you may be saying, God, what do you want from me? Like, I am trying, 
What do you want from me? I want to be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. I want to grow. What do you want? Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God, what do you want from me? God wants you to give yourself to him. And listen, you are an acceptable sacrifice. You're like, hold on, let me go clean this up. And God says, no, you are an acceptable sacrifice as you are. The spiritual man or the spiritual woman, he lives a new life surrendered to God. And the third one is, or the third thing that, that marks this, this type of person is found in 1 Corinthians 2.15. If you just kind of turn one page, it says, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The idea that word judges or examines all things in light of their relationship of God or relationship to God. They ask the question, does this help or does this hinder? Does this help my relationship with God? Does this propel me forward in my relationship with God? Or will this hinder my relationship with God? The spiritual person will make decisions on how it will affect the relationship with God. And the fourth one is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Not only does a spiritual man make decisions on whether this helps or it hinders, but he also looks to invest in the spiritual development of other people. How can I invest in others? That is a spiritual person. That's the person that we're growing to be. Not just concerned about our own selves and our own, own desires and our own thing, but looking, how can I bless? How can I invest in others? How can I be a tool in their life to promote, uh, promote them and to propel them towards Christ? And the fifth one is, the spiritual man eats meat. This is not against anything against vegetarians or vegans. God bless you. We love you. This church is very friendly to that. Um, whatever. <laughs> he eats meat. When it talks about the meat of the word, he says here that you should be eating meat, but you are still on um, milk or not solid food. What is it talking about? What is the meat of the word? Like this doesn't turn into meat and... He's not talking about cows, obviously. The meat of the word is not, let me say this first, it is not, it is not some secret hidden truths in the Bible that no one knows. That is not the meat of God's word. Where you're like, I'm super spiritual. You know why? Because I have found the secret code to uncoding the Bible. Did it. That's why. <laughs> No, that's called nonsense, and it's called heresy. Because if you found something that no one else has found, guess what? It's probably whack. It's probably messed up. Like, it's been found. It's been taught. It's, you know, like, the, the, the meat of the word is not these hidden, like, Da Vinci code, like, here it is, the meat of the word. No. Hebrews 5 tells us what the meat of the word is. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is the meat of the word? The meat of the word is doing what the word says. The spiritual man eats meat, meaning he does what the word says. He doesn't just listen, but he does it. He puts it into practice, or she puts it into practice. It's not just hearing it, it's doing it. James talks about it constantly. Do not just be hearers of the word only because you're deceiving yourself. Is there anything more embarrassing than deceiving yourself, right? That's like believing your own magic trick. That's how stupid, 
sorry, that's how sad that is. That's like you going like this and being like, oh, how did, it's amazing. It's, it's that dumb. It's deceiving yourself into thinking like magic exists. I have transferred one finger to the other end. Things are getting derailed at this point. Listen, James says you're deceiving yourself. It's not just hearing God's word. Any guy, woman with two ears can hear the word of God. It takes a spiritual person to understand what's being said and then to put it into practice in their life. The last one that, he, that we find. So the, the spiritual man says, that's my old life. This is my new life. He fights against the flesh. He understands that life is not his own. Uh, he makes decisions based on whether or not it will help or hinder their walk with God and how they can point others to Jesus by doing what the word says. In the fourth category, he talks about the carnal man. The carnal man is a believer, someone who believes in Christ knows Jesus, has come to a saving knowledge of him, but they live as though they are not. They live as though they are still driven by the flesh and they flow to the course of this world. They've been born again, you come alive to God, but they do not do what the word says and will not, they refuse to invest in the things that will cause them to grow. And so, your experience of God is stunted your relationship with Jesus is stunted and your influence and impact on others is then stunted. Your growth is stunted. He says that's what carnality does. It robs us of relationship and revelation of God. But it's a simple fix. Be encouraged. I know it's hard to end on the carnal man like you're going to the course of this world. But it's a simple fix. It's simply to put the word of God into your life and simply obey it and watch God transform your life. It's simple. Like, man, I feel so carnal. I feel like I'm just being swayed. Read your Bible and do what the Bible says. You're like, no, there's got to be some secret hidden thing. There is no secret hidden thing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, read his word and do what it says. That's what walking with Jesus is. How rad is that? It's not like you get saved and God's like, all right, now things are really, I mean, get ready. Your life is going to be terrible because of all the stuff you got to do. It's simply, that's how we grow, man. You read God's word. You do what God's word says. And God will actually transform your life. Recently, my family and I, we went on a trip to Illinois. I know it's a hotspot destination for vacations. Center of the state. Also the murder capital of of the U.S., Chicago. <laughs> and so we went on this trip to go visit my wife's grandparents and um, all four kids on, on the plane. And you know when you look at your seat and you're like 74F, you're like, I'm in the back of the plane, <laughs> right? You're in the back of the plane. And so as you're coming on the plane, people, you know, you see them sitting in that really nice, comfortable, wide seats and you're like, this is gonna be a great flight. I have a feeling. And then you get to your spot and the seats go like seven across and everyone's like this. And you're like, well, this is just, right? And in the back, there's like a guy with a chicken and, and, and you know, like all the circus freak people are back there. And, and you're like, this is what coach, that's why it's $72, you know, for this flight on spirit that has no cushion on their seat. And this, you know what I mean? The seat belts, like, that's why it's cheap. Anyway, I'm getting to a point here. We all got to the same place, right? All those people up front, we all got to the same place at the same time. They may have got their bags first, but we all got to where we were going, right? The same is with the Christian walk. You can ride first class in your walk with Jesus, or you can ride coach. You'll get to the same destination, but it's a different kind of flight, isn't it? It is a different kind of experience. These people are getting off the plane refreshed, moist towelettes coming out their ears, and they're just like, the stewardess did my hair as I was sitting there, and here you are like limping, because you're like, why am I limping? Because you're in coach. That's why. You can ride either first class in your relationship with Jesus, or you can ride coach. You'll get to heaven, but man, it's a different kind of life. 
It's a different kind of life, man. And so I encourage you, where do you, as you examine these lists, where do you fall? Not to be condemned, but to be convicted and then encouraged to then start moving forward. What needs to go? What needs to be implemented? Jesus, I want to move forward with you. How do I do that? And, and God is so good. I, I love that when Paul talks about these people and we talk about it, it's funny. Um, no one is perfect in this list. He didn't list a perfect person, did he? He's like, now the perfect man has a beard or whatever. He didn't say <laughs> There's no perfect one. There's spiritual and there was carnal and that's it. Both make mistakes. But both have a very different kind of life lived in relationship with God. So may we examine our own heart um, as we read those things. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful tonight for the grace that you've shown to each of us. Lord, we thank you that um, you're, you love us so much that you're willing to say things like this to us. You're willing to point out things in our life, um, not to condemn us, but to, to cause us to, to respond to you. And Jesus, we do. I, I, I believe that every person in this room has, at, at somewhere in their heart, they have that desire, like, I want to be more like Jesus. Or I'm exhausted from the flesh. I'm just, I've been taken advantage of by the devil and my own flesh, and I am just done. And so, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to minister to us as we worship you, as we sing of your goodness and your mercy. We're reminded, God, that you love us so much. And so, um, Lord, we want to we wanna take inventory of our own heart, as, as the psalmist said. Search my heart, O oh God. And, Lord, we want to do that as well. Search us, Lord. Reveal to us. I know in my own life, Lord, there, there is carnality for sure. For sure. Ways in which I have just gone with the course of this world and I'm tired because you're just getting tired because it's a hard fight. And so some of us are just getting swept up. So Lord, I pray there would be a renewed resolve in us to walk in the spirit. And we're thankful, God, that you don't, um, you don't tell us just to do it on our own. But Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we can't do. And so Lord, in the ways in which we are failing, in the ways that we are um, feeling just completely drained, God, would your Holy Spirit begin to renew, to strengthen, to rebuild those areas that were broken down in our own hearts and our own soul. God, the cracks that we have in our soul. I pray God that your Holy Spirit would come upon us begin to wash over those things. Heal us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And God, we praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.